0: Alex Bregman shoves the cheating scandal in our face. Why Mookie Betts' deal falling through is actually good for the Yankees. And will the XFL succeed or will we see it fall apart in coming years? Welcome to the podcast, i Connor Green. Well, shouldn't the Astros be trying to stay out of the news? After all of this stuff breaks about them cheating, you have suspensions, you have firings, A.J. Hinch is gone. Jeff Lunau is gone. Then the report comes out about Codebreaker just a couple days ago. A.J. Hinch does an interview with MLB Network. And you would think the best thing for everyone involved in Houston would be to stay out of the news as much as possible, right? That would be what makes the most sense. Well, Alex Bregman... Wounds up on the cover of East Bay Magazine, a baseball magazine, with the headline, Always Earned, Never Given. Always Earned, Never Given. Now, Alex Bregman went and posed for this photo shoot. He was there. I'm sure he knew they would do an article on him. I highly doubt that he knew that they were going to use that headline. Because already on Twitter, Sean Doolittle saw the post and put a little gif underneath it of somebody drinking water and spitting it out. Because you could not have a more contradictory headline for a guy that was just caught up in one of the biggest cheating scandals in the history of baseball than always earned, never given. So I doubt Bregman knew that was the headline they were going to use. But where in the world is Alex Bregman's publicist? Where in the world are the Astros' PR department? You cannot have your big superstar coming off one of the biggest cheating scandals in the history of baseball to then be posing for a magazine cover with a headline, Always earned, never given. Really? Was it always earned when the Astros were banging on trash cans to signal pitches to batters? Was it always earned when A.J. Hinch would not come out and explicitly deny that they didn't use buzzers in the 2019 season to relay pitches to batters? Was that always earned? You know, the Astros have made mistake after mistake after mistake One of which was not clearly communicating to the MLB exactly how their cheating scandal started to begin with. And that's why now you have the Wall Street Journal actually reporting that it began in 2016 with an intern, which is a hell of a lot different than saying that Alex Cora cooked it up along with Carlos Beltran in 2017. So you would have been better off just coming out with the story altogether to baseball, allow them to write their report, because then everything happens at once instead of the slow news dump that we've now seen, where people were talking about it, the firings happen, then you want to move on. But you can't move on when then the Wall Street Journal is releasing an article Talking about how Jeff Lunau was explicitly aware of the cheating scandal when it happened and when they were concocting it back in 2016. And when he was getting emails from the front office and this guy Tom Kochwesser, who worked in the analytics department, who was emailing him and in the email was referring to the video staff and the analytics department. ...as the dark arts sign-stealing department, which then he claims, Lunau, that he never read to the bottom of the emails. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't read to the bottom of the emails, so I didn't know that that's what they were doing, really. And if I knew that it was that sinister, I wouldn't have allowed them to continue doing what they were doing. That report being released is not good for the Astros. A.J. Hinch doing his interview and not explicitly denying the use of buzzers, which people now are highly skeptical of his answer because he dodged the question whether or not they used buzzers. You would think if they didn't, A.J. Hinch would have come out and said, absolutely not, that report is completely ridiculous, but he didn't. So not being forthright, in what exactly went on from 2018 to 2019, and then not denying right away, because you cannot deny what might have happened, is not good for the Astros. And then to compound the problem, you have Alex Bregman, your biggest superstar, on the cover of a magazine, East Bay, a baseball magazine with the headline, Always earned, never given. You know, I know the Astros have fired a lot of people over the last couple months, namely their GM and their manager and their assistant GM who was caught being an idiot in the clubhouse after the ALCS. You know, they fired a lot of people, but you would think they would keep employing some people in their PR department because it looks as though you desperately need it when your superstars are doing magazine photo shoots with ridiculous headlines that can only make people hate your organization more. You would think they want to stay out of the news. You would think they would want to avoid headlines. But Alex Bregman, out of nowhere, I'm sure without approval from the Astros organization and their owner, doing cover photos... Because that's exactly what they need, is a cover shoot at this point in time. Someone let Alex Bregman know that he needs to go into hiding until the start of the season. Go to spring training. Do not be doing photo shoots. Hide like the best you can until the season actually starts. Deal with your booze, and then you can move on. And then maybe you can do photo shoots after that. Because it has been a bad couple of days in terms of publicity for the Astros organization. Now, is the Mookie Betts deal falling through and him possibly going to the Dodgers, is that falling through actually a good thing for the Yankees? You know, you would think a gigantic superstar and one of the best players In all of baseball, getting traded out of division would actually be a good thing. Even though the Yankees teed off on David Price over the last couple of years, you would think them getting rid of David Price, who is a solid pitcher, and Mookie Betts, who is somebody that is a top five player in baseball, you would think trading them out of division would be a good thing as a Yankee fan. Well, the only problem is, right now, the Yankees are the World Series favorite. And they are, in my opinion, and the opinion of many others, the best team in all of baseball. It looks as though they will have a clear shot at the World Series because the Astros are unraveling. The Red Sox are clearly not focused on the 2020 season and want to rebuild. The Indians are looking to trade Francisco Lindor, and it looks as though they'll do that before the trade deadline, so they're not exactly solely focused on the 2020 season either. So the Yankees right now are the clear favorites in the American League and the World Series favorites in general. But when you look at the National League, the Dodgers, who won over 100 games again last year, have no, are not against spending at all, have no opposition to spending any amount of money possible on their team, are already incredibly talented, already have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, already have the National League MVP in Cody Bellinger. The last thing you want when you get to the World Series if you get to the World Series, which is a very, very good chance with the roster the Yankees have put together, you would rather have Mookie Betts on the Red Sox, who don't pose a gigantic threat this season to win the division or beat you in the playoffs. You would rather Mookie Betts be in Boston than be in L.A. with the Dodgers. Because if the Dodgers do get Mookie Betts, you can almost guarantee you will see them in the World Series. You have a rotation of Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, and David Price, and then a lineup with the 2019 NLMVP and the 2018 ALMVP, along with a cast of characters that are not too shabby themselves. You would rather have to go through the American League with Mookie Betts there and hope he stays in Boston because they can't put a deal together or possibly that he goes somewhere else at this point, than the Red Sox and the Dodgers rectifying their deal and moving Mookie Betts to L.A. You do not want to have to face the Dodgers in the World Series if they have Mookie Betts. And if they have Mookie Betts, along with a team that already is one of the best in baseball, you can almost guarantee that if you fight your way to the World Series you will be forced to play them in that World Series. So you would rather this deal fall through entirely. Maybe he stays in Boston because they can't get it together. Maybe he goes somewhere else. You do not want him going to Los Angeles and then be forced to play the Dodgers in the World Series. That's why my opinion... That deal falling through because Bruce Dar Gratterall's medical report came through, and now there's con- some concerns about his arm. That's actually a good thing for the Yankees. Now, lastly, does the XFL, which debuted yesterday, actually have a chance to succeed? Is there some longevity with the XFL? We know when it debuted back in 2001. Ratings numbers were great for the first week. By the end of the season, they had record low television numbers. Record low television numbers for a spring football league. This time around, I bet when the ratings numbers actually come through, the debut weekend is going to look pretty good from a ratings perspective. A lot of people compare it to the AAF, but the broadcasts are much better than the AAFs were. The television deal that Vince McMahon put together is a lot better than what you saw in the AAF. So you'll get good television numbers through the first weekend because you have people that are curious about the league. You have people that are curious about the new rules and how everything will actually shape up in the end. But what you have to ask is, does it have longevity? Will we see it a few years from now, or can we expect it to go the way of the initial XFL, where it falls apart by the end of the season? Well, there are two things, in my opinion, that will help the XFL have longevity, and is really their only hope for it having longevity. Number one, are the rule changes enough to keep people interested? We obviously don't have the best players in football on any of these teams. We have guys that are cast-offs, guys that couldn't make it in the NFL. So that's what the league is made up of. So you're not watching the best of the best. If you want to watch higher-quality football, you'll wait a couple months till the NFL comes around because you might have a little football burnout to begin with. So number one, are the rule changes, namely the new kickoff the new two-point rules, point-after rules where you can either go for one, go for two, or go for three, and the faster pace of the game, enough to keep people invested even though they're not watching the premier players in the sport. That's number one. Number two, will gambling be enough to keep people interested? Because after the NFL season, you have a long time Before you can gamble on football. Months and months and months before the next football game. And there is nothing that people love more than gambling on football. So will the gambling aspect of this, coupled with the new rule changes, be enough for people to say, You know, I'm not doing anything on my Saturday. Why don't I sit around and watch the XFL? I have nothing better to do, so why not turn it on? Maybe I'll throw a couple bucks on the L.A. Wildcats or the New York Guardians. Why not? What else do I have to do? Let me just watch it. That is what will sustain the league for years to come. If people are not intrigued enough by the new rule changes and by gambling, there's obviously not enough meat on the bones to make people watch. The broadcasts are really good. But just because you're interviewing Jerry Glanville during the game in the third quarter or a player makes an interception, you go to the sideline, you interview him right away, that's not really enough to keep me entertained. Because in the end, you're getting cookie cutter questions to these answers to these questions anyway. So you have to keep people entertained And the way they're trying to do that is with the new rule changes, which give the sport a different look, a decrease in penalties, an allowance of big hits, which the NFL has almost completely eliminated over the years, and the introduction and promotion of gambling in the sport, which even the NFL supports gambling, but is not actively showing spreads during the broadcasts. If people are invested enough in those two aspects, they will continue to watch, which in turn will give the XFL increased revenue, which in turn, down the road, years down the road, could maybe lead to them drafting a player out of college, offering them more money than the NFL can offer them, if their revenue increases and continues to be pretty good, and their ticket sales continue to be pretty good, and they have a good fan base... And they're able to then draft a superstar just like the AFL back in the 1960s drafted Joe Namath. The Jets took him. He was drafted by the NFL too. But the AFL and the Jets offered him more money. Which allowed the biggest superstar in football to go to the AFL and not the NFL. They would have to hope to build an audience based on the gambling aspect of it. And based on the unique look of the sport and then hope that their revenue is great enough that down the road they can possibly do something like that, which would then make them, even to a lesser, to a small degree, a competitor of the NFL, as opposed to just some spring football league, which looks a lot like college football. So, will it have legs? It's possible. I'd give it a 60-40 chance. I'm a little more optimistic about the XFL than a lot of other people. But we'll have to see if these things are enough to keep people entertained in the long run. Well, that wraps up the podcast here on Sunday, February 9th. Again, I'm Connor Green. We'll come back tomorrow to take a look at the baseball landscape and preview the 2020 MLB season.